Welcome to The Mend, a show for survivors and victims of crime sponsored through the Center for Crime Victim Services here in Vermont. I'm Anna Nassett and will be your host for this bi-monthly podcast and show. Today on the show, we have Sergeant Christina Lazelle from the Vermont National Guard. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, the show was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, and concepts for victims and survivors of crime. We wanted to acknowledge the healing process and provide resources, not only in our state of Vermont, but throughout the country, that could benefit victims of crime as they begin to mend. As your host, I myself am a victim and survivor of crime, and my healing process and how I navigate the world is an ongoing and ever-evolving process. I went for years of hiding myself and my trauma to standing up and speaking out against crime, and now I get to travel and speak to victim service providers all over the world. Um, I will share some of the services and resources I have used as I've had to mend myself and investigate all sorts of services and topics that I can share with you. Our hope with this show is that everyone who has been a victim of crime knows they are not alone as they begin to mend. I also want to begin with a trigger warning. Our goal is to create a safe place to discuss topics of healing, but with that in mind, we may occasionally hear a story related to crime, discuss our mental health or other sensitive matters. We urge you to care for yourself and listen at your own discretion. So today we have Christina Lazelle from the Vermont National Guard. She is the G JFHQ Sexual Assault Response Coordinator for the National Guard here in the state of Vermont. And I'm thrilled to have her here to discuss the role in the military and how we look at the military in handling sexual assault on a larger scale. Sergeant Lazelle and I had a chance to meet a few months ago at a training in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I was speaking at that training. She was attending with other sharp responders from the National Guard. And since we are the only Vermonters that attend this conference, we do a yearly dinner to connect, discuss, and bond. And it's always one of my favorite evenings of the conference, and this year did not disappoint at all. Um, so thank you so much, Christina, for being here and um, sharing your knowledge and experience with us today. So Christina, let's start with a little bit about you. Could you share with our listeners what led to you joining the National Guard and how long you've been enlisted? I know you're now in a civilian role, but just kind of walk us through a little bit of that. Sure, so my enlistment is kind of unlike most. Uh, a lot of people, when they enlist in the National Guard, it's something that they've thought about doing since they were children or something like that. Uh, for me, I was actually taking a criminal justice class at the Career Center in Bradboro, and uh, the recruiter who happened to me, my godfather's brother, actually came in and talked, and his pitch that kind of got me was, uh, anything that you want to do when you get out of high school, you can do in the Guard. And so originally, my plan was to go to college for forensic psychology, uh, so I asked if that was possible, and he said, yep. So I was like, I went home that day and I said, hey mom, guess who came and talked to us today? And she ended up, uh, because when I was 17, you have to have uh, parent permission to enlist. So um, I went down, I took the ASVAB test and actually got the score that I needed to be able to enlist into behavioral health and that was how it went. Uh, so that was eight years ago. I did seven years in the Army and then I've been in the Air Force for the last year. I'm going back to the Army side uh, in the next few days, and I'll be drilling with them, doing behavioral health again, 
And then full-time, I'm a Title V federal technician, so that's where the roles are different. So Monday through Friday, my civilian job is also for the Guard, but the sexual assault response coordinator piece is not actually my military job. Okay. Yeah. Very confusing and very cool. <laughs> yes. Thank you for explaining for us. Um, so I think you just shared a little bit about this, but what led you to deciding to follow the track of becoming a victim advocate for the National Guard and then to you becoming a SHARP coordinator? So I, in college, was part of the peer advocate group on campus in Castleton called PAC, Peer Advocates for Change. They do similar to what I do, a 24-hour hotline, provide education, uh, obviously provide advocacy as needed. Um, and I ended up changing from psychology to social work. And in your senior year, as a social work student, you do a your senior capstone seminar. And the final project for that is to build a resume and then go to an agency and have them conduct a mock interview with you so you can get pointers on your resume, where how you do at interviews and those kinds of things. Um, I ended up having the behavioral health officer for the Vermont Guard actually conduct that interview with me because he had also seen me work with patients so he knew how I interact and all of those other tasks that if I went to a random agency they wouldn't be able to give me. And as he was looking over my resume, he's like, I've seen this before, which really confused me because I've spent the last few months of school making that resume in class, so I didn't know what he meant. And he pulled up the job ad for the victim advocate coordinator, and he's like, you need to apply for this. Um, your resume already fits everything that they're looking for. And so I applied. I didn't think I was going to get the position because I was, um, I was eight months pregnant at the end of my senior year of college. And so if I was selected, it would have been um, a few months before I could start, but I interviewed and I was selected and that was how that, that's how that happened. That's so cool. Yeah. And that's awesome <laughs> that that's not the way we normally get jobs, especially not being <laughs> pregnant. So that's yes. awesome that they really saw something in you and were willing to go through the maternity and everything that speaks a lot. Yes. Um, so for our listeners out there, could you share what SHARP is? Um, I know we've already used the term a couple times, um, but just it's not something that most people know about. Like, I didn't know about it until a year ago. Um, and so could you share a little bit of the history, the role that it plays in the Guard and throughout the military, and just what is SHARP? Sure. So SHARP is, uh, it stands for Sexual Harassment Assault Prevention and Response. The Army is the only one that uses the SHARP program. The rest of the DOD uses SAPR, which is Sexual Assault Prevention and Response. Uh, the Army added harassment because sexual harassment and sexual assault, the process for dealing with those cases are pretty similar. Um, although when we're stateside, we do follow more of a SAPR program because harassment cases still go through the Equal Opportunity Office. Mm -hmm. In a deployed setting, we fall under Big Army, so we we follow the SHARP office and harassment complaints will come to us. Um, so mostly when you ask somebody what is SHARP, they're going to pretty much roll their eyes and say, oh, that's that awful mandatory training that we have to have. Unfortunately, in the past, that's how it's kind of been. The trainings that were pushed out weren't great. Um, we've done a 
big push at changing the way that the trainings are done so that they are more friendly and more of a discussion based than a PowerPoint slide that's filled with words that nobody wants to read. Um, but we do so much more than just that training. We do have the victim advocates in each uh, unit. They, um, we give the survivors options if they want to do a restricted or an unrestricted report. And, um, and so restricted report is going to be confidential? Yes. Unrestricted is public, correct? Yes. Okay. So it's not public. Uh, the way that we kind of have framed them for making it easier for users who are going through trauma to understand is that the restricted option is that a closed box. And so it's just the my office who will know who made the report. Uh, and then the unrestricted is kind of an open box where you get an investigation and you get command support because with a restricted report, commanders aren't involved. <coughs> okay. Um, other than the reporting options, we provide help with if they need medical care, we can help get them to the hospital. And if they don't want their military advocate with them, uh, like the local network programs will sit in with them. We have a special victims council, which is basically free legal um, services through the National Guard. And um, so we can help contact them um, and then any other services or resources throughout the state or at the military level we can help with. Awesome. Yes. Very cool. Well, I know for myself, like, I've gotten to come and help lead some SHARP trainings in the last year, which yeah. I just, for me, that's such an amazing thing to get to lend voice to. And, um, yeah, I just really respect what you all are doing. It's very important work. Can you, I mean, you've started to kind of do this, but can you walk us through what a case would look like um, from the first point of contact to, I mean, conclusion, such an open-ended term, but it's so different for everyone else. Um, and what is your role in that process? Sure. Uh, so the process for each report is going to look different based on, one, each situation is different, but also uh, if you do a restricted or unrestricted report, those processes are different. Um, and who the survivor chooses to go to to make that initial um, contact. If they come directly to me as the SARC or one of our victim advocates or a medical professional, they have all of their options open to them. If they go to law enforcement or their command, then it's an unrestricted report and they can't do a restricted report based on their, it, it's brought up to the higher level so we can't pull it back. So we've been pushing a lot for people to come to directly to our office so that they can have the choices that they want. Um, if somebody makes a restricted report, they have the choice to go unrestricted at any time. Uh, but if they go unrestricted, they can't go back. Um, mm -hmm. And so after the first point of contact, you make sure that the person is safe. That's the first thing that we do regardless of where they enter where, who they choose to go to, making sure that they're safe, and then depending on when the assault occurred, if they need medical care, making sure that they get that are the first two priorities. After that, it's um, myself or another advocate will sit down with them and we'll complete the, it's called a DD Form 2910, and that is the victim's preference for reporting statement, so they choose if they want the restricted or unrestricted at that time. Uh, then we also have a another, uh, we have a full intake packet that we do along with that 2910 where we 
inform them of their rights to a line of duty determination. So for National Guard, because we're not full-time 24-7 soldiers and airmen, uh, we have this, if we're on a duty status when the assault occurs or there's a nexus to National, Go National Guard status, um, you can get that line of duty, which is basically you were injured as part of your military service, mm -hmm. where active duty, if you're injured at any time, you're obviously in the line of, in the line of duty. Um, they also learn about the Special Victims Council, and then we have a packet that has the contact information for all of the Vermont Network programs, so that if they're not from Chittenden County, we can find out who the network program is in their area and get them in contact with them. Um, another option that just went live in July, I believe, is called the CATCH program. And so if somebody decides they want to make a restricted report because they're not ready to come forward and press charges against their the accused offender, um, they can opt into this program where they name, if they know the name and the rank of the person who assaulted them, they can put that in there. And then they can do other identifying features if they don't know the person's name, so tattoos, scars, anything that they can use. And it goes into this database that's anonymous, so they don't know who the survivor is that's putting this information in. And uh, if somebody else names the same offender or somebody with the same markings, they'll be notified that there's a match and they have a choice at that time if they'd like to go unrestricted because they're not alone. Wow. Yes. That's amazing. It is. I, we uh, we need that in the civilian world too. <laughs> yes. Talked about doing it. Um, there's a program on colleges camp college campuses out west called Callisto which has the similar idea. Um, and so when this came out, I was like, we were trying to do this a few years ago. I'm so excited that this is happening. Uh, I'm excited for, and we can go back to the restricted reports that have been made historically and offer this option to them. So it's wow. not just new reports. We can actually go back and ask. That's very cool. Yes. And is that across the whole guard or the, across the, whole, the whole military? The whole military, wow. Yes. So it's a Navy system. Uh, so when you log in, it's like uh, NCIS is the one, they're the ones who actually look through and make the matches. So mm -hmm. they have all these algorithms and science processes that they play out and they find that it's a match. And that one that's called Catch? Yes. Very cool. I will yes. learn more about that. <laughs> yes. That's the great thing about this show is I get to learn so much too. Um, yes. Wow, that's very cool. Um, yeah. I think like... Like, thank you for kind of walking how that process goes. Um, are you available 24-7? Yes. So, like you personally? Or? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So I have a phone. It's the Sark phone. Uh, the phone number is advertised throughout all of the buildings that the Vermont National Guard has. <coughs> so if somebody needs me, that phone number is there. And um, by regulation, I have to return calls that I miss within an hour. So anytime that I get a call, I will return it. Um, I also, it has texting capabilities and email. So if somebody doesn't feel comfortable in talking, they can text me and I'll respond to them as well. Can I ask how often you get a call? It's not very often. I get a lot of telemarketer calls telemarketer calls, but a lot of our reports end up being somebody walking in and um, having the conversation with me in my office. Okay. Yeah. Very good. It's, I mean, I know like within 
that kind of leads into the next question, like how many like civilian advocates are the same way of just like having to always be on call when it's just it's a tremendous responsibility. So thank you. Thank you. Um, so kind of talking, bringing into the, the civilian world, um, how does the SHARP program compare with services and agencies in the civilian world? And can you talk about how the military and civilian organizations work together or overlap? Like you kind of started to talk about that with the unrestricted reporting, but how, yes, yeah, civilian law enforcement, advocacy groups, all of that work within the military. Yeah, uh, so I think a lot of the basic um, advocacy services are very similar to civilian agencies where it's just advocating for what that person needs and providing choice at every opportunity that we have, making sure that it's supporting the person. And um, I attend a lot of the statewide meetings to see what the other agencies are doing to try to align with their services. Um, we also have the ability to, so if a survivor comes forward and they don't feel comfortable talking to a military advocate, we can connect them with the civilian advocate. And also, um, we have many of our partners on the civilian agencies will contact us if they have a case that has a military nexus, not necessarily to give me another case, but the survivor mentioned it, and so they'll look and see if there's any other services that I can provide that they can't. So we'll kind of work together, even if I never know who the victim is that they're working with. Do you work with civilian survivors as well? Like if the offender or the accused offender was somebody from the military and the survivor was a civilian, do you work with the civilian? So not in that scenario, but what we do is we track it as an open with limited information type of case. It's a form of our unrestricted report where we kind of just track how the civilian law enforcement interaction is going and through their trial, and then uh, we can hold them accountable with administrative actions based on if they were found guilty or not in the civilian courts. But I can't work with a civilian victim, even if it was a military offender. Um, we are able to help civilians if it's a spouse or a dependent of a service member, as long as they're above the age of 18. Okay. Under the age of 18 would go to the Family Advocacy Program. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Um, so to kind of shift a little bit, um, we know that the history of sexual assault is unfortunately pretty deep in the military and we're seeing a lot more light being shown upon that. For male and female victims, um, what words would you offer to encourage reporting? So what I like to kind of show or say first about that is that when you come to my office, there's so many options that we have to help you. So if you're not looking for a law enforcement involvement, but you just need some support, we can do that. It's, we try to make it as much of a um, customized response as we possibly can. Um, if you don't want to talk to me, but you're curious as to what the legal process would look like, we can connect you with that SVC, the Special Victims Council, before you even make a report. You can talk to them and say, here's what I'm looking for, here's what happened, and they'll kind of guide you on, okay, here's what, here's what the legal process would look like. And from a lawyer's standpoint, they can give more feedback on that kind of information. And um, I encourage anybody who has any 
uh, if it's them or a friend or a colleague or coworker that's been assaulted and they don't know what to do to come to my office and we can just have a conversation. Awesome. With the military, I mean, it's predominantly male. Do you, do you find that you're having more male victims and survivors coming forward to report? Because I know it's, I mean, it's such a hard place and it's something we look about, like, we hear so much about females reporting. So I'm just curious what, um, if you're seeing a shift in that and more encouragement for men to come forward. So we go, there's some years <coughs> where we have a pretty good presence of male victims coming forward and we have others where we have none. Um, it's hit or miss on who's going to come forward. I know that when we're out in the units, it's focused on that it's not just females who are victims and it's not just males who are offenders. And mm -hmm. we kind of try to focus on that so that it's anybody who's been affected can come forward and talk to me. But we don't have any, any way to tell, like, okay, this year we're going to have more males come forward. Right. Okay. Um, recently, I was on a plane sitting next to a man who was in the Army, and we were chatting away, and I said that I've been traveling to different military bases, working with sharp responders and training them, and he immediately got really annoyed and started to say, like, that he'd had friends who had been falsely accused and what that had done to their careers, and then he went on. He was like, well, there's no way these people would do that because they're my buddies. They wouldn't possibly assault a female or a male and that these people were lying and he continued on saying like the role of sharp like hinders military members and their service and I think like for me I was like well dude like only two to three percent of reports are false and I know that we can say your friend would never do this but there are people everywhere that do horrible things so how do you handle like that type of mentality? Because I feel like it's probably pretty normal. Like what is your response to that within your role? So definitely one of the more frustrating aspects of my job, but I feel like it's um, going to be something that's seen with any agency that works with this type of crime because it is so two-sided and people will stand up for their friends even if their friends are the ones that are in the wrong. Um, I frequently try to explain, just as you did, that the percentage of false reports for a sexual assault are no different than any other violent crime, and it's very low, but it's just what people tend to focus on and hold on to. Uh, another thing that we have an issue with with military is we have what's called an unsubstantiated report, and that's not meaning that it's a false report. It just means that there's not enough evidence on the legal side to show that the the incident occurred. There's not that that proof, the evidence doesn't show. Um, I also explain that when a survivor is going through the legal process and they draw their allegations, that they're not saying that their allegations were false. They're saying that they're done with the process because a lot of times the defense will make that process draw out for so long that people just can't do it anymore. They need to put the, the incident behind them and it just can't happen when going through the legal process. Um, we also, we're lucky in the military because if civilian law enforcement declines to take the case, we can still do an or ad administrative investigation and hold them accountable on our end 
regardless of if civilians take it or not. So we can do a letter of reprimand or we can do a reduction in rank or even separate them from the military based on what the investigating officer in that case finds. Wow. Yes. So a lot of people hear, oh, civilian law enforcement didn't take the case. That means it didn't happen. And that's just not. That's and, amazing. Yeah. And a lot of times if a friend is hearing it, like their buddies are just talking and uh, like say somebody gets moved to another unit or something like that, the person who gets moved can say whatever they want when they're in that new unit and nobody's going to know the truth of what happened. So I just like to point out to be conscious of who's telling you what you're hearing and to pay attention to that. We have a lot of, as the, the term is, military uh, barracks lawyers or the private news network, uh, which are both just the rumor mill spinning and so just paying attention to where your information is coming from. Awesome. That's a great response. And that's really cool that, I mean, as a civilian, like, if you don't, if they don't pick up your report, that's it. You're done. And so that's really cool to know that there are other avenues. So I'm here with Christina Lazelle from the Vermont National Guard. And we were just talking about um, the response of the military with SHARP. And so to follow up further, what work does the military as a whole need to be doing to dispel um, the negative thoughts that the general military population has for the work that you're doing? So something that we've been focusing on a lot, at least in the Vermont National Guard, is transparency. Uh, I think that's the best way to dispel this kind of thinking because a lot of times you go out into the units and people have no idea that it's happening here. So they're like, oh, it, it doesn't happen, it's not a problem, there's no way my friends could do that because it's, it doesn't actually happen, it doesn't exist. Um, so if the organization is more transparent about what's happening, there's less room for those so-called barracks lawyers or the private news network to get a hold of anything and fill in the blanks on what they don't know. Um, we've been trying to look at the best ways to share the dispositions on our cases. It's hard because of the privacy of both the alleged and the survivor that's coming forward to be able to share what happened. Um, we think we finally got a good way where we're just gonna share it quarterly. Here's, here's what happened and here's the punishment that was given. Um, many people just don't realize that it's happening in their own community. And so seeing incidents that occur, even if there's no identifying information attached to it, I think is is going to be helpful. Awesome. Um, the future of this work is, you know, shining a light brighter on prevention versus the aftercare of assaults. Like we want to prevent these assaults from happening. So as we're looking deeper and deeper into how we educate people to not commit these crimes, can you talk to me about how Sharp is looking forward with that lens on prevention? Sure. So prevention has been a big portion of the focus lately. The program has gotten really good at the response piece, which is wonderful, but it definitely needs to be focused more on prevention because if we don't, if we can prevent it in the first place, we don't need to make a response. Um, in our program, we've been trying to shift those conversations from talking about assaults to focusing on what is an actual healthy relationship and what's an unhealthy relationship and what are good boundaries and. Um, how to set your boundaries. A lot of people just don't have that information. Um, 
one of my colleagues from UVM, Sarah Mel, she actually has been pushing for the idea of joyful sexuality as what should be taught instead of like sex ed or sexual assault prevention. It's just more of focusing on joyful sexuality and embracing um, your own boundaries and your what you are good with and what you're not good with. Um, and so I've kind of taken that as my goal is for how I wanna go forward with prevention and looking at it more through that lens. Um, the former EO manager from the Vermont Guard, Chief Sumner, Dora Sumner, she focused a lot on sexism as the starting point for where a sexual assault comes from because obviously that's the far to the left side of the spectrum. And so if we can prevent that those sexist behaviors, then we can also down the line prevent sexual assault. So I also try to keep that in my purview when I'm doing awesome. prevention. So Christina, as you continue your career with the National Guard and look forward to your future, how do you want to continue to work in this field as an individual and or with the military? So in my full-time <coughs> career as a SARC, I'm still working and getting my feet under me because obviously I've been in the program for a few years, but this role is very new. I was just selected a couple of weeks ago as the SARC. Um, so I haven't had time to really think about what the next goals will be. Uh, likely in this state, this is kind of it for the sexual assault world. So if I want to go down to National Guard Bureau in Virginia and do a tour there or over to the Sharp Academy in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, those would kind of be my next stepping off points. Um, for my military career, I'm actually in the process of transitioning back to the Army side, as I mentioned at the beginning. And uh, with that transition, not only am I going back into doing behavioral health for the guard, but I'm also looking at doing the officer candidate school. So I would actually commission as an officer if I'm selected and I make it through the training. So um, that's awesome. Yes, that's my uh, and if I commission, then I can go into the counterpart for my full time position and actually on drill weekends, get out to units and provide support that I can't do now on drill weekends. So um, I'm really excited and I hope that it happens. So yeah. we'll see how it goes. That's awesome. Thank Congratulations. Um, just as an aside for our listeners, like the news just broke here in Vermont that you're possibly deploying in 2021, yep. correct? Um, and so if you were to deploy, what would your role be when you would go over on your tour? What would your job be? So on a deployment, I would be a behavioral health NCO, non-commissioned officer. So I would assist the behavioral health officer in the, um, in the program and making sure that we provide the support to soldiers, um, whether it's the fact that they're separated or if a traumatic event occurs on the deployment, doing those debriefings to leadership and with the units. Awesome. Yeah. That's very cool. A soldier taking care of all the other soldiers. Yes. Um, so it has just been such a delight having you here today and such an honor. Um, as we wrap up, I'd love for you to share with your listeners how civilians and military members can work together to stop sexual assault and harassment both on and off of military bases. So I had a couple of different thoughts on how to answer that question. The first would be preventing sexism, obviously, as I had mentioned before, if we prevent the sexism and um, don't have those negative views of the opposite genders, it provides more, um, more opportunity to 
prevent sex, sexual assaults on the lower levels. And then also it's changing the culture, um, the culture not only in the military but also in the civilian world as well. And the way that we've kind of framed this, our adjutant general actually just sent out a counseling statement, uh, which is basically a memo that every member of the military has to sign about how we treat our fellow service members. And so it's basically that if you treat everybody that's involved in this as a valued member of the team, that's like that's the standard that he expects. But the kind of thought behind that is if you treat everybody as a valued member of a team, you're not going to sexually assault them. You're not going to treat them with violence. You're going to make them feel included and provide a positive space for them. And um, you're also not going to let somebody else make those kinds of actions because you value the uniform and you value them and yourself too much to let that kind of behavior happen. So I think that is um, the best way to prevent it on not just the military bases, but also in the civilian world. Absolutely, that's awesome. Um, I know that we don't get we don't get memos like that at most jobs, so that's pretty impressive that the military is taking that stand. Um, and it's something that we could all learn from, so. Sergeant Lazelle, Christina Lazelle, it's been an honor to have you here today. Um, I just have such great respect and admiration for your commitment to serving this country and the important role you've taken on as working with Sharp. Um, I know for myself, it's been really the privilege of a lifetime to travel to different military bases and to get to share my story and my voice and help educate people doing what you do. Like it's just something I never thought I would get to do as a civilian and has just been incredibly humbling and awesome. So thank you for what you do every day. Um, and I'm just delighted to have gotten to meet so many folks from the VT Guard and get to be friends with you all. It's, it's a really good group. So um, in closing, I like to close each show with like a positive message. So. Is there one like parting thought that you would share to victims and survivors of crime? Yes. So the one parting thought that I have when I think about survivors of crime is just that you are so strong and some days you might not feel it. Some days you may just want to quit and crawl in your bed and not come out. But if you just keep going, um, once you get through that worst part of the storm, you'll only be stronger, stronger than you already are. I love that. I had one of those days yesterday, so thank you for that message. It's very important. Um, so thank you so much, Christina Lazelle, for being here today to share with us the important work that the military is doing and that SHARP is doing. For our listeners, if you would like to learn more, please visit sexualassault.army.mil um, to learn more. And um, if you have any ideas for this show, please contact me. I'd love to hear from you. My email is Anna at StandUpResources.com. Um, I'm your host, Anna Nassett, and I look forward to sharing more with you every other week here on The Mend. Be well, be strong, and goodbye.